All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. She seems to come back every four months. Uh, we've done a couple other shows regarding current true crime trends. She's in New York. Her name is Roberta Glass. She operates True Crime Report. And today we're just going to get some updates on many of the cases we've been talking about, the Nexium cases, uh, as well as some of the Damien Eccles updates with the West Memphis Three. She was very fortunate to have a two-part series featuring Ken Kratz, who was the prosecutor from the, St the Stephen Avery case that was covered uh, by Netflix in Making a Murder. And I featured one of those shows on there, so those are definitely worthwhile listening. Uh, so you can go to her YouTube channel at True Crime Report and check that out. But, uh, Roberta, are you there? Yes. Awesome. Thank you for, uh, for agreeing to the interview tonight. I appreciate it. Uh, we've both kind of been following some of these updates that involve Bob Ruff's Truth and Justice. The most recent case that he's been dealing with is this, the Melgar case um, that he believes the, the wife of, you know, who supposedly killed her husband was unjustly uh, convicted for, for an interest, kind of a, a unique kind of crime scene. But maybe that's where we can get started is talk about uh, that case and the recent updates. Okay, well, he was on... 2020, which was wild. Uh, we saw Bob Ruff, uh, what, lifting weights in his shed and um, saying that he gets all these cases from his audience, which it doesn't appear, they seem to come directly from the Texas Innocence Project. Interesting. <laughs> you know? Interesting. The other one was the Ed Eights case, and he was paroled, and of course, um, Bob Ruff took credit for, you know, like getting him out of prison when he was just paroled out of prison. Right, he was paroled. He was never he was never exonerated, right? A, an important no. distinction, yes. But no. he, he kind of seemed to really and that 2020 show was fairly recently was within the last last week, correct? Right. And there was a great moment where he says, "I I do open source investigations." And then he stopped himself and he said and corrected himself and said, "Reinvest and of course, I'm sitting watching it going, you mean you solve soft crimes, Bob? Is that is that what you're saying you do? Right. You solve soft crimes. I, I can't believe, I can't, I want his agent, A, who is his agent? How does he, how does yeah. he get as much attention as he does? And two, how does not, how do other people not think that that's ridiculous? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that this is still ongoing, you know, this, this Bob uh, Ruff Truth is Justice is still kind of uh, getting the limelight. And they did a real kind of uh, an investigation, went to his hometown in Michigan, right? I mean, they really kind of spent some time with Bob. Well, it was a vanity thing. I mean, once you show him, like, lifting weights and, like, Bob obviously wants to show off his muscles, his sure. muscles like a vanity project. Right, they let him do it, too. That's yeah, that's remarkable. Mm -hmm. And so, but the Melgar case... Um, Maybe we can go into the details. It was a case that took place in Texas. A wife was convicted recently, I think, 20, 2017 or 18, of staging a crime scene that uh, the husband was, uh, she claimed that there was a home invasion, and the prosecutors there came to the conclusion that she staged the murder of her husband of 32 years, a high school sweetheart. But the, uh, it seems like Bob Ruff says there's no motive, but there was a motive. He had a a quarter million dollar uh, her husband had a quarter million dollar 
insurance uh, policy and that they were uh, heavily involved in the Christian science church. Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses. Witnesses, sorry. Jehovah's Witnesses. And that was the, you know, there were serious consequences of shunning if they did get a divorce. So she might have felt that this, this, uh, so this uh, murder was a solution to the problem. So uh, Bob Ruff has been working on it. And I think he, he has found like the, the exonerating piece of evidence with some type of blouse or something on the scene that he said, was, what was it? Did he say that it what didn't belong to her or that it was evidence that, that somebody else was there? Yeah, and I will give credit to uh, my friend <laughs> Meredith, who I sometimes do episodes with, and she said, that's a, that's a middle-aged wo- woman's blouse. What does Bob think that that blouse belongs to the perp? Right. First of all, let's think about how many women, uh, how many women commit violent crimes. Okay, compared to men, I think I've heard anywhere from 30, 20 to 30%. Right. So yeah, chances of like, a, uh, and then the chances of it being like a middle-aged perp. I, but yeah, crazy. So the unsub being like some middle-aged. But what was interesting about um, the Sandy Melger case is that her memory got better as time went on. And right. that's just that's not it. how it works. Right, and she said that she couldn't remember anything that happened that night, right? So right. she somehow, yeah. And, you know, uh, someone else who was just looking into the case, she was found in her own, uh, this is so gross, but feces. Oh. And someone said to me, well, which, what does she, I mean, did she, did she really have to go that far? And I said, look, she's a nurse. They're very comfortable with, with that stuff. Of, uh, you know, of course, right. it's like a great thing to do to sell it, that you've really been trapped and you can't get up and you're, you're tied to a chair, yeah. Right. So, and the staging was elaborate. She was supposedly tied yeah. in the in the closet that then yeah. had a chair that was pulled up to prevent her from leaving. Yeah, so. But the other funny thing is that they had, I think, a video of the neighbor. And instead of being, like, excited, oh, you have a, a my, the neighbor has a camera. Oh, we can catch this perpetrator she just seemed like not excited at all and maybe a little worried that her story would fall apart when they didn't find anybody you know any Uh, kind of movement or anything right yeah and i mean there was also other evidence in the closet that indicated her husband had been like there was blood spatter too right i don't know i haven't been following this case as closely as you know as other other friends have so i but I thought that there was other evidence that got her convicted. But I mean, it seems like all these cases that sorry. Oh, there was blood spatter in the closet. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there wasn't on the chair. I do know this case a little better than maybe I think. <laughs> okay. But yeah, there was blood spatter in the closet and on the chair. And but everything was like pulled open. The drawers were pulled open and right like rifled through. Like they were fake, fake pulled open, right? right to make it look right. So it was uh, other evidence of staging. Was there, but right. it seems like Bob Ruff, in his analysis of the Melgar case, West Memphis Three, and Adnan Syed, is looking for that one jackpot piece of evidence. You know, so the West Memphis Three, it was uh, the the main thing was the police. You know, he found a so-called uh, deception in the um, the police testimony of when Jesse was seen back at the trailer park. Right, so that was supposedly. Uh, nullified his his stories i remember that and then syed was the supposed uh, <laughs> punch clock 
uh, employee, what is it, the employee time clock that he found at... Time card for Lenscrafter. Lenscrafter, that's right. So that was supposedly it. And people, you know, some people found that very suspicious as well. So it seems like that's what he's, that, ah, you know, I've got the victory, you know, piece of evidence. It seems like that's what he's looking for. Amazing. Yeah. It's really like a Professor Clouseau. Yeah. <laughs> in my, yeah. You know? Oh yeah. No, it's it's incredible. Like when does it stop? So in 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 the in the last month, I've been on my social media. Uh, this uh, individual, an attorney by the name of Sam Carroll, has kind of entered the fray with his his analysis of some of these cases. He's calling it "truth is justice," not "truth and justice." Primarily, he has been involved. In trying to counter, you know, some of these sketchy narratives that Bob Ruff is on, and you've interviewed Sam Carroll, and can mm. you talk about that? Um, he's a lawyer from Australia, and he was listening to uh, Bob Ruff talking about the Melger case, so he participated on his Facebook page, and he did some demonstrations and you know, very detailed demonstrations, different ways the ropes could be tied. And he thought he was being so helpful and, you know, giving, putting up posts that were fact-based. And his thanks was getting kicked out of that group gotcha. for causing drama with a long letter, which is posted on Truth is Justice website. You can read it from awesome. Bob Ruff about how Bob Ruff spun it. But really, anyone who's not supporting Bob Ruff's ego or this sort of innocence fraud narrative will be eventually kicked out of his group. Gotcha. So not, yeah. It is not a um, group for dissent. You know, dissenters are, you know, kicked out, exiled. Right, gotcha. Yeah. And, you know, which, uh, you know, they don't like that. I remember, you know, during the West Memphis Three, the Bob Ruff Army uh, comes along. It's not just Bob Ruff. Like, I had this whole horde of, you know, kind of uh, clueless... <laughs> People come to my page and, you know, insult me. And one guy literally came close to threatening me, like, where do you live? It was pretty shocking that I could have probably called Facebook for, you know, literal wanting to physically harass me. But, um, yeah, so I bet Sam Carroll probably went through the same kind of Bob Bob Ruff army uh, circumstances, I guess. So they put up all the transcripts on there for the Melger case, and uh, there's a forum, and there's going to be a podcast forthcoming from him. That's going to be a direct kind of like response. Like remember those country songs? <laughs> like, you know, someone would sing it. Someone would like make a response. Right. So he's going to like make a response podcast, the Bob Ruff podcast. Gotcha. So that's what, that's what is uh, going on. What, uh, do you know how many, how many episodes he's done on the Melgar case? Bob Ruff? I don't know. Because I knew he was up to 60 at the West Memphis 3, and I think that it was, that's advantageous to Bob because for somebody to counter all of that, you know, uh, and minutia would be just such an onerous task. People just don't even want to go through it, you know? Go through all 60 of his freaking hours of covering the West Memphis 3 is incredible. And that case, that, that case isn't even, uh, the, the analysis isn't finished according to Bob. No, he took a menopause. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's just an incredible. I, you know, there's nothing like, and I'm glad you used the term innocence fraud because that's something, you know, we talked about before uh, the recording this interview. But 
this this is actually kind of a new uh, an important term for the public to to key into that a lot of these people this this fraud these are frauds on perpetrated on the public this is innocent fraud whether it's Adnan Syed West Memphis Three Stephen Avery which is back in the news on the making of Murder Two Melgar and you know it's just uh, it's something that you know I've never never considered that would really really be happening but something that's popped up within the last four or five years yeah and and um there's lots of different ways it can be done too there's um a great episode on um uh, liz huel on um she does the um true crime podcast on blog blog spot blog talk what is it blog talk blog radio talk? yeah, huh? yeah talk whatever talk. You can find it if you look up her name. Anyway, she did a great uh, episode on innocence fraud, and it was all about the forensics of it. And uh, when I was um, about to interview Ken Kretz, he asked that I watch this documentary, Murder in the Park, and I said, oh, that's like one of my favorite documentaries. And I asked him if he knew this um, guy, now I can't remember his name, who was on Liz's show talking about forensics and innocent fraud and he said oh yeah he's a friend of mine so there is kind of like a um maybe a bunch of professionals who are really concerned about this innocence fraud and that uh he said that he was going to maybe perhaps get together and like start up they had like an organization and a disbanded and maybe start another kind of get together of professionals to try to fight some of this trend of innocence fraud yeah that would be great i mean that's great news I think that 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 you know the legal system, the way it's uh, you know been built up over the lot over time, the common law, if you want to look at it from a century's perspective, a decade's perspective, has never had the problem of social media and this this kind of information flows that allow the perpetration of innocence fraud to to happen, you know. And so I think these whether they're practicing attorneys or people who've retired from the prosecutorial perspective. I think it's important for them to make their case in the public, and I think they have to. You know, I think that that's unfortunate, but that's where we're at. If, if a lot of these cases are being tried, if you look at the West Memphis Three case, for example, that case was retried in the public, and it led to disastrous results with the release of three convicted criminals in 2011. And the prosecution and the the state really never put up a any type of response, any type of public response in 2011, they just said, you know, we've come to this conclusion and we're going to plead them out on first-degree murder, 10 years probation, time served. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's an example. I think so. I think, you know, in these other cases, I think that these legal professionals in general just have to key in to this new phenomenon of innocence fraud. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, so... Let's talk about Murder in the Park. I saw that documentary about five years ago. It was about an African-American man who had, I think it was a group from University of Chicago, came in and uh, blamed him for perpetrating a murder. They were working on another case. I can't remember the guy's name. It was a murder in the park that took place, I think, at a basketball um, at a basketball game or something like that. Do you remember the details? Did you watch that recently? Porter wasn't that the? I mean, I can look at my notes, but no. isn't it Porter who who the who was who was the um, convicted criminal and he was about to be executed? And that's something that you see often, which is which really surprised me. I mean, you know, I think I'm a little bit I uh, 
I've been around the block a little bit in life, but when I saw Sister um, Helen preaching the nun lie about a case, I was wow. shocked. Wow, that's <laughs> you know? interesting. I didn't but know I that. I didn't know that. A lot of death penalty ad advocates feel like the ends justify the means, and if it saves a life, it's okay to lie about the case. So you'll see, like, the Richard Glossop case. Um, I'm sorry to kind of go off track, but that's a case I'm really interested in. And all of a sudden, a letter appeared from the daughter of the co cohort in the crime, and it was, like, typed up, and she's never claimed it. So I think that letter just came up at the last minute saying, oh, you know, Richard Glossop is innocent, just to, like, like the West Memphis Street, just create doubt. Right. And turn public opinion. It's, if, if you can understand the way the West Memphis Three works, you will understand a lot about innocence fraud and a lot about true crime. I, true. I really, it's a real education in all the different tricks that they do. Right. And I mean, that's really, I mean, if you're a real anti death penalty crusader, you can do anything, you know? There aren't any rules. You just want that to, that to stop. And. When I was in law school, they had one guy who was an anti-death penalty crusader to the end. I mean, and he he sacrificed his career, a lot of his professional career, by keep, you know, uh, just keep getting involved in these cases and really trying to keep these people from being, you know, what the state wanted, which was to, you know, put them to death. And it was, an, I can't remember the guy's name. I wish I could, but he was he was somewhat well known in that milieu, that kind of environment. But yeah, it's uh, the the case of uh, death, murder in the park was Anthony Porter, and the guy who was who got got fingered was Al Alstery Simon. That's the right. Guy. And yeah. uh, you know, supposedly confessed, but he the, it was through Northwestern University. It was the Medill School of Journalism, so they had all of these these college students trying the case and coming up with this. And eventually, I think Alstery got put in jail and then sued them civilly. And won a significant judgment, and the two of the professors were, you know, they were uh, censured or something like that. Oh, right. David Protest was one suspended by Northwestern University, 2011. But um, he offered, you know, people um, book de future book money, future movie deal money to change their story. Um, so in cases like maybe Ryan Ferguson, where you have two significant witnesses changing their story people should ask what they were offered why they changed their story what made them change their story yeah, you know yeah no it's important not saying that that's that's what happened i just you know the question should be asked and it's not even asked it's just always assumed immediately that the person is innocent and that's why they changed their story because it's because that's really the truth now and uh there's only one truth so it can't be both. Right. That's right. Yeah, so that that's definitely an important um, important warning to the public, this murder in the park, about how, you know, third parties can get involved in these cases and, and bungle things up. And actually this one guy and uh, this one guy his Alstery's uh, life was ruined, you know, by these guys. Blame really for that. It's really it's a fascinating documentary, and it should be bigger than making a murderer, but it's not. It's true. You know, it's a good point. It's, it's the innocent, the innocent guy framed, you know, narrative. So it, it it just sort of falls into the nether worlds of Netflix. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad. Um, and <clears throat> have you been fall? Have you watched the new making of a murder? No, not I, either. I, have I. 
do it. I just can't do it. I saw, I, I, uh, I've seen a few clips, and it's just, I find it very depressing, I'll tell you. Yeah. William well, Ramsey, the, I find it very depressing. Yeah, they're, I mean, just milking a story, right? And just making yeah. up a brand new story. I mean, I think Ken Kratz, in that interview you did with him, you know, laid out the, the prime piece of evidence is that the blood of Avery was in, uh, high, what was it, Heinbach? What was her name? Uh, on her car, you know, that was in the lot. Yeah. And he, he said it was four different types of DNA evidence. It wasn't. Yes. Right, and so. it, in the way that Kath, Kathleen Zellner is worshipped and the way she talks to the camera in that is like she's talking to children, to nursery school children and telling them a story. And that's what they want to hear, a story. It doesn't matter if it doesn't. And I've just really started meditating on this idea about true crime fantasy that that it's almost like there's a there's almost an alternative section of people that don't aren't really interested in true crime but they're interested in true crime stories that are just so far out right they that they don't resemble anything that happens on planet earth but that's okay right and that's a great point because oh, i think wasn't it kratz who brought up the fact that you know you have to be believe in this massive conspiracy against avery to believe that he was unjustly convicted was it him or somebody else and i think that's a common theme in a lot of these cases that these innocent fraudsters are claiming conspiracies that involved that are super ornate you know like what's why would kratz and all these other people conspire to convict avery it just doesn't make sense yeah you know what i had a really interesting guest on who had been a fan of bob ross and had gotten into undisclosed and um had gotten into the whole in innocence uh, fraud movement, and she was just really seduced. She was very young, and she was, like, really seduced by it, the whole narrative that you could just... Bob Ruff apparently tells his audience that you may never commit a crime, but that doesn't mean you'll never be accused of one. Right. <laughs> so so yeah. she was really afraid that, that anyone could be locked up. And that, that you didn't need any evidence that the police had such pressure on them to close these cases that they just committed fraud left and right all the time in on cases, you know, yeah. concerning as big as murder. Sure, it's Not West Memphis 3 all over again. It's the same kind of uh, narrative, you know, the same fairy tale. Right, and so she said that really what made her come to her senses, you know, on this side we always think that we're going to convince people with evidence, you know, that they're logical, rational pe people. But what eventually just snapped her out of it was just sort of like a psychological overview of it and kind of like, this is an impossible scenario. Like, this would never happen. Right. And not specific evidence. You know, we always talk about, like, the West Memphis Three, Jesse, Miss Kelly's, so many confessions, like six-plus confessions. Post-conviction, yeah. Right, post-conviction with his lawyer begging him not yeah. to. I, I Recorded, yeah. like you can listen to the audio, yeah. Right, and you know, I got so obsessed with why people could not get that in their heads, like why that wasn't convincing people that they were guilty, that I went around New York just asking random people, like if someone confessed like six times in all sorts of different situations to a crime, would you think that person is guilty? Everybody said yes. Right. That was said like no maybe maybe does it have were the police feeding him the facts or whatever but you know I, I think it's very interesting that 
she said that you have to get into the conspiracy mindset that those yes. pop put you in. Yeah. And uh, I, I thought it was it's a really interesting. It's kind of like one, almost one of my favorite episodes that I've ever done. And uh, and you've that's kind of been a, call, uh, a theme within a lot of your interviews. Is Meredith was the same thing where you know they believe the documentaries or they believe this kind of Hollywoodized narrative, and then something pops, you know. Something snaps like this. Meredith didn't help build Bob's shed and uh, joined many innocents. I mean, this girl really got into it. Spent all Thanksgiving t telling the whole table every detail of the Adnan Sayed case. Right. So she <laughs> yeah. was heavy, yeah. I yeah, mean, heavy. I was the same way, but I remember in Meredith, when your conversation with Meredith, it was the same because you don't know that some of these documentaries are don't have an integrity to the truth. You ex expect them not to be, you know, uh, so biased or have a different agenda. So, you know, once you kind of realize that, then you can really put the Paradise, for example, the Paradise Lost documentaries in a proper place, that they're not transparent. They're not, they, they left out, omitted so many things. For no, example, it's from entertainment, yeah, you know? Yeah, and it's, but it's a sick aspect of to, to it, and I can, yeah. I, I reflect your, sickness of not wanting to listen watch breaking of a murder too because what it is is like infotainment of like a very serious subject like these are murders like how what type of person can actually be so dishonest i talked to somebody i mean it's outrageous but these guys from um true crime profile these guys who write for tv shows just love berlinger and zanofsky and they're so great and i'm like how can you these people Left out simple things, just like Jesse's recorded confessions out of three. They had three chances to do it. They had three chances to put Exhibit 500 in those uh, document, documentaries. And they still just turned it into a Hollywood, goofball, dumbed down, you know, thing that just, you know, switched people's minds into looking at the stepfathers and this nonsense. So, um, yeah. Only being stepfathers, which I think is almost like prolonging the the pain you know it's like a sociopath pointing the finger and blaming them of the murder is like you know getting pleasure out of causing the victim's family more pain it's yeah. awful it's a duper's delight right isn't that it what have you heard the term duper's delight yes yeah so i think that that's part of it like blaming somebody else some people get it i what comes to mind is what foxy noxy i remember her yeah. blaming all everybody else and you know the greatest one is um, Diane Downs has the greatest duping delight. Who's Diane Downs? I don't even know her. She's a woman in, uh, was she in Oregon or um, West Coast who murdered her kids? She oh. took them on the long back roads. She can never say why she was there. She was taking them long, and she shot them, and then she drove like one mile an hour to the hospital, shot herself in the arm, drove one mile an hour to the wow. hospital. I think I vaguely remember that, yeah. Small sacrifices. And Roll, I think, wrote a book on it. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, so it's it's bad. I'm interesting you brought up Zellner because I think it was you. Was it you who told me about Larry Eiler? Her, one of her earlier, uh, you know, representations? Hmm. Do you remember? It, it must have been somebody else because Larry Eiler is interesting because he was a multi-jurisdictional gay killer. And it kind of tied into kind of, um, when I was reading his kind of, story that Zellner was involved in, I was like, this is my Smiley Face Killers documentary. It's basically the same type of uh, idea, you know, the kind of person who I believe is uh, 
perpetrating these kind of murders of young men throughout the United States and the world. I mean, I think there's different people doing it, but this guy, Larry Eiler, was represented by Zellner. And, uh, yeah, it was, it's a crazy story. Yeah, she, she, yeah, that is a, that is a crazy story. Um, but the first time I became aware of Zellner was way before I ever started recording anything was when she took a picture of herself or picture of Amanda Knox saying that she was brave and resilient. I think I remember resilient. I think it was brave and resilient. And I tweeted at her about, well, I guess that's, you know, something sarcastic about killing her roommate. That's how brave and resilient she is. And right. she blocked me immediately. I bet. Which I'm I, not surprised. She probably didn't want to hear that story. And that, Knox has to be added to that list of innocence <laughs> fraud, right? Got, yep. So it's, it's a, the list is long. And yeah, and not like she's coming back, like trying, it looks like she's pouring money into PR and there's all of a sudden all these uh, videos showing up on YouTube about how innocent she is done by other true crime people. It's very odd. It just seemed like the money dried up for a while and it, it seems like it's been poured back into her you know, making her narrative that she's all innocent, and now she's going to have her own podcast. And wow, he really is a disturbing figure, and um, very disturbing. And yeah, I mean, I think she made it. She, I think her book that she wrote sold sold uh, handsomely, didn't it? I have to look and see because I think she made some I money off that book. Got tons of money for it. So yeah. even if she didn't, uh, what the figure that she got was in the millions for it. Yeah, I think and you're right. Yeah the amount for just speaking about her horrible, you know, horrible uh, time, and you know, it, it, it's just—it's crazy. The the story that we hear in America is so different from the story that the Europeans heard. You know, she really sewed up all of Americans' uh, press, which seems like that's there. I mean, I was thinking about the West Memphis Three, and has there been one mainstream article? that has been slightly skeptical about the West Memphis Three? I, I don't remember one, do you? Maybe there was a recent one where they said they, uh, murders he probably didn't commit, like they qualified it. <laughs> so I, I saw that. That was one recent one. And But no, there, there's been other writers on the subject who've questioned it, but no mainstream. And it's always the same. The intro, the intro is Damien Eccles, uh, Put in jail 17 years for a crime he didn't commit. You know, it's the same line. It's almost like these guys aren't doing any research when they're looking into the West Memphis Three at all. It's embarrassing. And, and don't even try to question the writer like I did with that Vice writer. You know, she wrote me back, you're an idiot if you think Damien Eccles is not innocent. <laughs> you know, is guilty. You're an idiot. You <laughs> couldn't believe that. I know, it's such a joke, too. These people don't know what the word guilty means. He's currently guilty. Currently guilty of law. I repeat that over and over again. Like, why, if he has such great evidence, why doesn't he just put it in court and get out? If I got busted stealing two candy bars from 7-Eleven and it was unjust, I can assure you I'd be putting all the evidence in to make sure that I didn't have a conviction for, you know, misdemeanor theft or something like that. Like, I'd be working my butt off. Like, this is is a joke. It wasn't me. So this guy has a child-killing conviction. Of stealing two candy bars, you know what would happen? No. Is I would be tweeted nonstop about what a degenerate thief you are, and how dare I 
align myself with you and what and how immoral you are and you know it would be all west memphis three fans they have no sense oh right oh that's true yeah if that happened no question because you know oh. ken kratz and his problems never mind that he admits them and face them which is really my issue with you know things of that is the denial and the lying and the not dealing with it just perpetuates it but, right. and i mean i think that that's one of the things they really went after kratz's character as you know something that minimizes avery's guilt right they still are they're saying he's uh you know like just you know they just exaggerated right. you know you know I, I, they they I, wasn't he was like a in a aa or something like that I forgot. and troubled and there's many troubled people he's an awesome lawyer and i happen to have liked him a whole lot and he's the only person that's ever uh worried he, he was really mostly concerned not so much about the hate that he would get but about his wife and that was really touching so yeah. i mean not a lot of not a lot of people are sympathetic to lawyers but a lot of these guys get in positions that are very difficult you know and i think it's unfortunate for him what uh, these making of a murderer people did and making him the big baddie you know what did you title your your talk about the most hated man on the internet i don't think that that's too much of an exaggeration yeah, and like I told you, now I'm the now I'm the second most hated person for interviewing him. But uh, did you yeah, get I, a lot of flack for that? Excuse me. Did you get a lot of pushback or flack for? Yeah, interview? I got a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I, I I I lost quite a few subscribers for me. For oh wow! What did they say? What what was the kind of gist of they what they? Don't say anything. They just leave. But I've gotten some tweets and. I've gotten some comments on, like, from even people who think he, Kat, uh, Avery is guilty that we don't like him. And, and, I, and I thought to myself, you know, he's a really awesome lawyer. Would you prefer a perfect person to have tried that case and Avery to have gotten, you know, a, acquitted? Was that the thing you would have right. preferred? I don't know. I come from a family of, you know, performers, creative people, and the stuff that... Um, Kratz described in his book is a lot of the stuff that that performers and creative people suffer from, like let down after a big trial, yeah. feel empty, narcissism. And I wish I had really gotten into more of that in the interview. It was really interesting, interesting. stuff in his book. But he said he just um, really started talking about the case and two hours went by or in nine 80 minutes or 90 minutes something like that yeah that was a great interview by the way people should check it out at roberta glass true crime report and i mean it's an interesting that you bring that up because you know the people look at these lawyers as as automatons or uh cold detached but that's part of their job but they're normal people man they have normal problems if you look behind a lot of these people in public cases they are a lot dirtier than or messier than anything kratz has endured you know you'd be surprised yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I, I was raised by a screenwriter with a very fragile ego, <laughs> so I don't know. I have a lot of sympathy. I have a lot of sympathy for megalomaniacs, narcissists, troubled people. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Well, uh, the subject of troubled people, we, uh, Damien Eccles got a new book that came Not out. Not that kind of trouble. Not sociopathic. Not sociopathic. Okay, yeah. that's that's a different level. Anyway. <laughs> I was trying to transition to the okay, new book by David Eccles. I know that we want to talk about it. The Guide to Spiritual Practices That Saved My Life 
on Death Row, High Magic, forward by Eddie Vedder. Um, unfortunately, I have to confess, I bought the book. I've read through it. And, you know, I, don't, I can't say I'm a practicing magician, but Eccles didn't do a lot of independent work on it, in my opinion, on uh, the ingredients of the book. What's that? Do you think it's ghostwritten? Possibly. Could possibly be ghostwritten, but I do believe that um, there's a significant amount that are taken from the practices of the Golden Dawn, and that's really it. And they, they're almost like uh, not even not even adjusted anything. Like they're just straight ritual practices from 150 years ago. But he does, of course, the names Crowley pops up again. So he says, I walk in the footsteps of some of the greatest magicians in history. Israel Rigardi, who was a disciple of Aleister Crowley. Aleister Crowley, John Michael Greer, Donald Michael Craig, Dorothy Morrison, Silver Ravenwood, and Stephen Mace. You filled my mind with vision, my heart with hope, and my soul with the thrill of knowing what is possible. So that's... Uh, that was on his intro. And also, of course, he gives a little tip of the hat to Johnny Depp. Thank you to Johnny Depp for walking with me when I decided I needed to go back to Arkansas and ask them to stop the executions of potentially innocent men by the state. William Ramsey, can we talk about that? Yeah, let's do it. Have you seen the video of, of Johnny Depp? Yes, I have. Amy Eccles? Yes. Oh, how times have changed. How they have. <laughs> oh, I mean... You know, that really, when you're that big a celebrity, I guess nobody tells you you've had enough. Right. It's very, like, 70s Elvish stage for Johnny Depp. Yes. I mean, just no sense whatsoever. You know, I, I don't agree. speak, I don't speak fluent inebriated. I'm sorry, I don't know what you said, Johnny Depp. Don't know anything what that meant. And he's trying to make a point about the death penalty, and then Damien Eccles does his, like, sob story. It was really, like, a, a, a crazy, crazy, crazy video. Yeah, painful. It's painful to watch. It's so sloppy. It's amazing, you know? But, you know, if you're Johnny Depp, I mean, things the worm has turned on him. You know that they didn't fire him from the next installment of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and they just didn't write him in. So they didn't say, you're not in the movie, you're just like, we're done. Do you hear that whole story? Yeah, but most people don't know that his partner who was suing him just went missing and has never been found. Right, no, that's from the Viper Room, the old manager there. Who yeah. They had a, yeah, so he's missed. I mean, the stories, I can't even repeat them online, but they're not good about Depp. And, uh, yeah, so it's bad. I'll tell you offline. Your Phoenix died there. Oh, yeah. Strange. Well, that's a strange death, too. You know, his last words, River Phoenix's last words after he drank that last shot was what was in that. And according to one move, one book called Night at the Viper Room, that he had five times the amount of cocaine and um, heroin that is an overdose. So somebody spiked, uh, from one writer, somebody gave him a hot fix. They spiked that. That's what they said in the drink, which I'd never heard of because he didn't have any, um, you know, track, fresh track marks right. or anything. You know, and so so he might have been poisoned. So I mean, and he said it, somebody handed him a clear drink, like a shot glass, from behind his head. So uh, any drug user would not take fatal amounts of those things. So it's it's very suspicious. And there's all you know, his friends with Hunter Hunter S. Thompson, the stories of him. There's multiple stories of Hunter S. Thompson and snuff films that are extremely unsavory. And uh, so Depp's yeah, and oh, you if, Hunter S. Thompson treated women with awful too and uh, the way johnny depp seems to treat women just the same 
terrible he, way. Are terrible. It's really terrible treatment of women. And, and going back to some of his earlier relationships, people are reporting like, yeah, not good, not good. I mean, I'll tell you those uh, those things about that. But if you follow him and watch him um, in some of these movies, he's definitely an occultist and uses hand gestures. And things like that. There's actually interesting is how I keyed into Depp is he was in one of these occult movies making this hand gesture uh, around his chest with the same one that Crowley makes. And also there's a picture of Dominique Tier making the same damn hand gesture in there. Oh, like where her hands across her chest? Correct. Have you seen that one? And she's wearing the the kind of cross. It's almost the same thing as Crowley wears. And so I've seen Depp make that in the movie as the one with um oh lord i can't remember her name but there's yeah he's actually on the the cover the the cover poster of the movie making that but yeah it's uh i'll send you some stuff offline that'll that's not good so they're they're dark riders yeah yeah the one thing i want to say about um damien eccles and all the interviews he's done for this magic book is everybody's you know they've asked him all these questions but nobody's asked him why he used magic to do everything in prison but find the real killer. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's so well, true. Why not? You know? Well, you no, have to... Yeah, no, you, ritual, nothing. Not a little... Nothing. I know, man. That's so great because nobody really asked him real, real critical questions. You know, of all those things, when I was heavily in my West Memphis 3 research, the only peer person who asked him... Any questions? It was him sitting next to Janine Pirro, and she she actually asked him some pointed questions. But that, other than that, and that was on the View. Uh, that on the View, on the View. Of all things, right? Well, I mean, there's some there where they don't ask the questions. Have you seen the the video of Eccles on what was Charlie Rose's show? He's on the tr- former Charlie Rose show, sitting next to David Boys, who's like the number one of the top ten lawyers in the country. And it's just incredible. Just he's sitting next to this triple A list attorney, and they don't ask any questions. And here he is talking about innocence, you know, innocence fraud. I mean, innocence fraud subject. It's incredible. Some of those videos, really, if you know the truth about the West Memphis Three, it's just off the charts. Yeah. So I was I was hoping in his book, you know, this magic book, there would be some kind of, you know, secret kind of coded message like Crowley would put in his writings about how to abduct and kill three eight-year-old boys, but I couldn't find any. No. No. It's only about how he he used it to survive prison. Right. And it's really scary that, I mean, I think this is really negative. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm an atheist. I'm not a faithful person, unfortunately. I wasn't given that gift. But, you know, it's really scary to me that, that this book is being promoted as just some kind of you know, like new age practice or, you know, benign practice when it doesn't seem to turn out so well for people who really get into to studying the occult. Yeah. If we're, you know, at the, at the least, it makes you super self-centered and narcissistic. Good, excellent point. Well, that's in some ways, that's the whole point of the occult is you're the magician at the center of the universe. So everything right. really is about you, your power, your influence over people. Oftentimes, under your will. So oftentimes, it's not a socially conscious kind of view. It's me and, you know, everybody else doing what I want. So, you know, it's a good point. And a lot of these people are crazy. I mean, 
I mean, Crowley himself, there's decent evidence later on in his life. He was in a mental institution in Switzerland, which was a known place to, you know, send the elite to these sanitariums, uh, both, who was it, uh, the diarist Anais Nin talked about it, and also Henry Miller, who wrote Tropic of Cancer, both said that Crowley was in a mental institution. Nobody talks about it, you know. And Damien Eccles was in three institutions we know before the murders in 1993. So a lot of these occultists aren't... Uh, there's a correlation of people not being of sound mind. So yeah, the occult is not positive. I mean, it's bad. And one of the one of the things that's bandied about in the West Memphis Three case, and I just heard it in the interview Bob Ruff had with uh, Jesse's attorney, was the so-called you know there's no such thing as the occult influence on crime, which is the Landing Report. They always repeat the Landing Report. It keeps popping up. Yes. It's a great um, episode with Ken. Uh, Ken Amin. Yeah, yeah, really good. That was Fantastic. I read it and then I listened to your um, episode and I understood it a lot better just from 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 uh, listening to that. That's excellent. Well, yeah, I mean, it's important to look at because they're repeating this stuff in the landing report that isn't there. So it's kind of like the empty envelope trick where you say, oh, yeah, Ken Lanning, this authority at the FBI discounted that. And I've actually heard people on true crime uh, pro what was it true crime profile also repeat the landing report and just keep stating this statement about the landing report that is patently false. You know, you have FBI agents saying that. So the same thing that uh, Jesse's attorney said, his name I can't remember right now. But yeah, so, you know, you see that I've, I've, my part of my research is all about the occult and everything I look into, it's pernicious, you know, pernicious to the practitioners as well. You know what I was going to ask you? Do you think that, that, uh, public opinion has shifted on the West Memphis Three since you wrote your book? I think it's slowly shifting, yeah. I mean, uh, I think there's there's some credible people out there have taken my position. I, you know, I was invited to New York. <laughs> I, you know, I was, you were alone at the beginning. Yeah, I was all alone. It was basically <laughs> me. I was the only one crazy enough to actually take actually that. too. And I knew you were right. Like, you know what I mean? You just can't... I don't know why people were so afraid to say that Damien Eccles believed in the occult. Were they worried that they thought that people would think that they believed in the occult if they accused him of believing in the occult? I didn't... I never understood that. I think they're actually afraid of being mocked. I think that there's a lot of positions people don't take because they're afraid of being ridiculed by groups of people. And I, I don't seem to have that prohibition personally. Like, I don't yeah, care. I don't so... <laughs> so, I mean, for me, I was like, what's the truth? I mean, I keep writing this Crowley, Crowley, Crowley. He's talking about Crowley. He's writing about Crowley. There's Crowley in the trial. And I knew about Crowley. So that's why, that's kind of why I got interested in the case. I, I can't say that I was really a true crime aficionado, but I was interested in the subject. But really, the, the thing that, well, for me, because I've read so much in my career, is that the case files are available. So I could look in and see what's the truth. Are these? Is there a really vast conspiracy to bust this guy? And, that, and is the occult involved? And the answer, I mean, it's, and still, it's obvious that uh, Eccles is still involved heavily in the occult, and all his friends are the suspects. So, um, but I do think that the public opinion is slowly shifting. I think I got invited to New York to sit down on a conference with other writers who had taken unpopular opinion so it was the guy who wrote the book about uh what was the gay kid who got murdered what was it matthew shepherd shepherd yeah so i was going to sit on a count uh a thing with matthew the guy who wrote the book about matthew shepherd and somebody else 
but they didn't, they didn't want to pay for my plane flight, so that was a no go. Oh, yeah, so I, yeah, but I can't remember. Is the guy is a famous uh, professor who studies uh, media? I can't remember his name offhand, but they kept they just they would not let go, man. They really wanted me to come out, but it just never happened. But so I do. I mean, it, and the guy, if I can remember the professor's name at NYU, it just shows that there are people you know, educated people who share or somewhat agree or totally agree with my position on the West Memphis Three. So what do you think the future, I mean, do you think that this is going to just get more, um, I have two questions for you. One, I want to ask if you saw the Damien Eccles PR, like, promo piece he did for Brendan Dassey and Amanda Knox did the same exact No, but I heard about that, but I didn't see it. Did you? Yes, and Liz put them together brilliantly on her Instagram. She puts them like back to back. It was like the most brilliant thing. It's exactly the same script. They both got paid to shill for um, the Center for the Wrongful Conviction of Youth, which I call the Center for Getting Away with Murder and Blaming it on the Folly of Youth. Wow, that's incredible. So they're shilling. Is that the Center out of... uh... Texas that Jason Baldwin works for? I don't know. Oh. I don't know who they are. I, I, I can't remember right offhand. Wow, I just that's crazy. Wrongful conviction of youth, but it's only Brendan Dass because to show for Stephen Avery is just too outrageous because that guy is just way too guilty. <laughs> sure. Well, Brandon, if you, if you look, you know, the thing is is that those, um, those uh, policemen videographed Brandon Dassey's confession. If you watch it, it's pretty clear they're not beating him up. They're asking him pretty easy questions. It's not this whole, you know, coerced, forced confession that they would like you to believe. No, I said to Ken Kratz, I said, he scares me more because Stephen Avery's just your run-of-the-mill sociopath. But Brendan Dassey, he walked in to a woman tied up screaming for help and instead of helping her, he joined in on her victimization. And then that is something out of my worst nightmares. That Sick. scares the living daylights out of me. I want that guy never to be released from... from yeah, from I think they should They should get the same treatment that they gave her. They should be put to death. I don't know why those... You know, for me, that's eye for an eye stuff. And that's the most brutal, you know, violation of a human body, you know. So I don't think... For me, it's Old Testament. They, I don't know why they're they're breathing air. So, yeah, it's really it's, it's awful. And Ken Kratz brought up the point that he he brings up rape, you know, before the before the um, police do. So, oh right, like right. So Dassey, when the, he's bringing up the subject of rape before the police ever questioned him about it, right? right. Yes. Right. So that's fascinating too. So, yeah. So, I, what's your second question for him? Then you have two questions. Oh, my other question was, I oh, I guess like the, the like, is this going to just get worse? Right. You know, before it gets better, is it going to get like crazier? Are we going to see more wild sort of documentaries? Is it just going to, are people just going to see the money machine that this innocence fraud is and it just keeps doing? Is there going to be any limit to it? That's a great or- question. I think that, that you're going to see two camps separated where people like this Hollywoodized, uh, sensational version of these court cases and other people who are outraged by the kind of dishonesty 
and lack of integrity in a lot of these this innocent fraud innocence fraud and that what's disgusting is the money like bob ruff is, has employees and stuff like that like he's making money um by doing these like distorting the record of these cases so uh, right he accused me of trying to my unmonetized i make no if anything i lose money i make no money doing this right. none well, that, that's the common common retort by a lot of these guys is you're a book peddler or you're making money critiquing <laughs> them, right? Which is, you know, I don't know. You have, to, you have to have a lot of views to make money. Yeah, I think it's really hard to, to, for them to understand that we do this out of a sense of justice, a sense of, uh, of righteousness, not, you know? Sure. I, I, I mean, I was outraged by, outraged by the West Memphis Three when I figured it out. There was a lot of head scratching and going down all these pathways that turned out to be dead ends. But when I came back to the conclusion, I was like, oh, my God, this guy's a child killer, you know. So, yeah. and, I mean, I think my last my last sentence in my book was, you've been warned, you know. That was it. By putting all that information out, that was not what was omitted in all these different narratives, all the different documentaries. So. It's really, you know, Eccles and Knox have that in common, that they're really a cult of personality. It's not even so much about the facts of the case. It's just people like them. Right, and they interesting. And they overlook the facts of the case. And I think you, in your more, one of your more recent interviews, talked about the Syed cult of personality, that these are all kind of personality cults around these people. And at some point, these, these people who committed the crime saw an opportunity. You know, I can just roll with this. At some point, they can roll with this kind of uh, av avalanche, a snowball that turned into an avalanche of people who are willing to move along with them in this innocent fraud and give them money. I mean, the amount of money that the West Memphis Three raised is off the charts. 10 to $20 million, it's off the charts. Uh, the woman that I interviewed who was, you know, uh, in, into this for two years, the amount of money she gave as a waitress would, would blow your mind. I don't even want to know. I don't want to know. Blow your mind. And for people who for people who don't know, there is a picture of Knox and Damien Eccles together hugging one another and both smiling. Like it's a yeah, really I, creepy pic. When I saw that, I freaked out. Like, whoa, this is off the charts. Yeah, they all seem to want to hang out with one another. If I were innocent, I would not want to be anywhere near Amanda Knox or Damien Eccles. Yeah. Like I've run so far away from those kind of people. Ryan Ferguson too. Hangs out with Amanda Knox. Oh, God, it's so crazy. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a crazy world. But I do think, I mean, to kind of go back to one of your questions, is that there is a, a group of people coalescing, trying to counter this. And like, just like you said, Ken Kratz is in working on that, too, of countering these um, dishonest uh, narratives that people are talking about. And, and people who are making, you know, it's... It's a new phenomenon where they're making a career out of question, you know, creating conspiracies around all these cases. It's crazy. That are that are that are finished. That are finished. over. Solved. Right. Gone. Like tried. Convicted. Right. And I go back to one of your earliest podcasts where you said West Memphis Three solved. You know, it's like we've already done this. This is this is. I mean, the, the West Memphis Three are unusual because they're double convicts. They were convicted in '93 or '94 and 2011. So. It's crazy. Right. Anyway, we're, I, we're past 50 minutes. Uh, is there anything that you... Is, where can people find you on social media and YouTube? Um, I'm on Twitter at Roberta Glass Pod, 
at, cool. and I am on YouTube, Roberta Glass, all one word. Cool. And do you? You're so you're mostly on Twitter and YouTube. Yeah, I'm. I mean, my personal Facebook is up. If you want to friend me on Facebook, cool. Talk through crime. I'm always up for talking through crime. Anybody? Awesome. <laughs> and my my email address is up on my YouTube page. Anyone who wants to email me and talk through crime, I'm always up for it. Awesome. I like. Talk, as you can see. Well, guys, if you get a chance, go to Roberta Glass True Crime Report on YouTube. Subscribe. Really, some of the best uh, investigation and talk about true crime out there. Much better than so many of these other podcasts that uh, read straight off of, you know, Wikipedia or something like that. So, Roberta Glass, thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. All right, take care. Okay, I got to tell you this story about.